running. Can you hear it up there? All right. Well, good to see you this morning. Hopefully you had a, a good fourth and, uh, and everybody kept their fingers and no accidents. Uh, good to see you here this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we uh, first of all, we're glad you're here um, and appreciate you uh, taking time to spend this morning with us. But I um, also want to let you know we're, um, we're on the last sermon of a sermon series right now. The series is entitled um, uh, Family Matters and kind of a play on words. We're looking at uh, the matters of being a family under the authority of God's word. We started on Father's Day with um, the role of, of a male, uh, biblical masculinity, and last week came back and looked at the heart of a woman at, um, at the beautiful way that God has created the woman's heart um, to function in uh, society, but also more specifically in the home. And so today we're going to look at uh, family discipleship. And so I want to address a couple things on the onset of where we're going this morning. Um, so there's a, there's a significant intimidation factor I'm learning about um, the topic of discipling your family and uh, some, some reasons for that. I think first and foremost for most of us, in this current generation, didn't grow up in a home that did that. So the idea of being responsible as parents uh, to disciple children, that can be really intimidating because uh, maybe there wasn't a healthy pattern set for you like for me. And so um, you feel like a fish out of water. You feel like you've been called to do something that you don't know what it's supposed to look like. And I think the idea of discipleship as a whole is something that um, is foreign even to a lot of believers. What does that mean to be discipled or to disciple someone else? And we get this imagery in mind that you're not qualified to disciple unless maybe you've been to seminary. That was just a big word. Um, and nothing could be further from the truth when we break it down. And we'll see very simply that it's really a practical matter um, inside the home as well as um, outside of the home to, to be discipled and to disciple others means to be in a relationship of growth with someone. Um, and so uh, we'll, look, we'll look more intently at that in just a minute. But um, So for the vast majority of us, we, we go through this sermon series painting the picture of how God designed the family to work, yet the majority of our families, for one reason or another, look different from that. Uh, a lot of blended homes, a lot of single parent homes, a lot of families who have been affected by divorce on some level either have gone through or um, parents have gone through. And so, so here's what I would say just going into um, today's message. So like for us, the idea is that God's word paints the blueprint uh, to which we build our lives, right? So just because maybe we came from a different background or our current family structure doesn't look the way, it's not ideal, here's what I would say, where the ideal is missing, grace abounds. And so if you are a single parent, maybe a single mom, and you, you come in and you hear that God designed the home to function with mom and dad involved, with dad's strong servant leadership and the, the nurturing heart of a mother coming together in a complementary role, yet you find yourself trying to fulfill both sets of shoes, this is where the grace of Jesus abounds. Or maybe you're a blended family starting over again. Maybe for the first time, this time you want to get it right and you want to honor God with your family, yet... Right, That example wasn't set, yet there are so many decisions from the past that still haunt you. How do you move forward in a blended family situation Right, that's maybe not ideal the way God prescribed it to work? This is where grace abounds. And so really for all of us, we need grace to abound in our lives. This is the blueprint to which God is transforming our lives into. And so... We're going to get started this morning. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 6 this morning. We're going to be way back in the Old Testament. 
way back in the Old Testament. You find Deuteronomy. We're going to be in chapter 6. Now, this is a family worship weekend, so I want to welcome all the kids who are in here who would normally be a part of our kids' ministry. Um, probably more so in the second service, but there's a few in here today. And so third grade and, and up are with us in our services today. And, and we'll talk why, about why we do that later on. But I want to welcome all the kids to be a part of this. And if you've been at Solid Rock for more than a year uh, to our family worship weekends, we typically go to Deuteronomy 6. This sets the, the, the tone and lays out the philosophy for us as a church and how we disciple and mentor families to disciple and mentor children. So this is not an unfamiliar text to most of our regulars here. Um, we're going to be back in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, this beautiful passage from the Old Testament. So where we're going to begin is um, with verses 1 and 2. So here's what's happened. Deuteronomy 5, uh, we've just got a refresher on the Ten Commandments. Okay, It's not the first time the Ten Commandments appear in your Bible, but this is a refresher on the Ten Commandments. Then we get to Deuteronomy 6, and we'll start in verse 1 and 2 to get us ready to go. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules. Okay, so just some help for you. Anytime you read those words in the Old Testament, you're, you're receiving a reference to what we now call the Bible, the Old Testament, the Word of God. These are the, the rules, the commandments, the statutes of God. At this point in time, most of those were being memorized, being passed down verbally. Things like the Ten Commandments had been etched out. But a vast majority of what we now hold in Scripture was, was memorized and, and held very delicately and, uh, and, and, and held with a great deal of reverence as the word of the Lord. And so the Ten Commandments have just been, just been refreshed on. Now we hear this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules. Just refresher on the word of God that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. So we've got Moses more than likely writing this down saying to the people, Now, God commanded me to teach these things to you. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and, listen to this, your son... And your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So what's beautiful here is even though Moses had been given this role of spokesperson to the people of Israel on behalf of God, what Moses is saying to the people is this, that it's your job as the current generation to teach these things to your children, that they may teach them to their children. So, so what God is saying through Moses is the responsibility of discipling, of teaching, of training the commandments of the Lord to the, to the future generations, it rests on you. So I'm teaching you that you may teach your children that they may teach their children. This beautiful call to disciple the future generations through the family structure. Now, verse 5 is where we're going to go next. Jump down to verse 5. We're going to read... 5 and 6, I want you to pay attention if you like to write in your Bible, you can circle the word you or your every time it comes up. It's a really important understanding here. So now you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then verse 7 begins with what word? You. So we have these multiple references to you or to your. We back up to verses 1 and 2, and we know Moses is talking to the 
leaders of the current generation, the leaders, the current leaders of the, of the households he's speaking into when he, says, when he says you or your. So if you want to, especially if you're a parent, next to, in verse 5, next to you, just maybe write in there, parents, you. The ones that are responsible for teaching the children. The one that who's responsible for teaching the children in order that they may teach their children. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Now, for us, this is beautiful because it lays out the goal of discipleship. Now, first of all, that's, that's a common reference that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your might, your strength. We see that again in the New Testament repeated. And here's the idea, that you would love God with everything that you are. And along with that, that there would be a, a unity and a consistency to your approach to loving God. For example, rather than just loving God with your lips... You love the Lord your God with your lips and your heart. Rather than just loving God in your mind, there would be a consistency and a unity in your life that you love the Lord your God with all that you are, your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength. Everything that you are will be sold out. You would love the Lord. Now, two things. One, in the current generation, 2015, um, I think we are, um, we are definitely a compartmentalization generation and and some reasons for that um the uh post-industrial revolution america is an america that became incredibly specialized uniquely specialized and career fields are so uniquely specialized to this day that that many of us don't know how to do a whole lot of things outside of our career path you're really good and specialized at what you do but the generation of the do-it-yourselfers, those who know how to do everything, the jack-of-all-trades, is, 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 a, is a generation that is becoming less and less common. My grandfather's generation, right? So w- my grandfather didn't call anybody to mow his grass or anybody to fix his lawnmower or anybody to fix his engine or anybody to fix his roof or anybody to build. He did it all, right? Did it all. He was from a generation, though, that, that understood that you needed to know how to do everything, Post-industrial revolution, we have a culture and society where things are specialized to the point where many of you are really good at what you do, but there's a lot of uncharted territory that you're unfamiliar with. So there's an intimidation factor there, right? So I know how to do this thing that I'm hired to do really well, but don't, don't, don't ask me to change the spark plugs on the car. I need somebody else to do that, All right? And so then we take this same philosophy to church, and then it becomes, well, don't ask me to teach the Bible. That's not my area of expertise. I am a whatever I am. I'm really good at what I do, but I don't know anything about this or the Bible, so then I need somebody else to do it for me, which then leads to, for a lot of families, compartmentalization of relationship with God. This is the place. Sunday morning is the compartment, right, that we love God. We love God here, And maybe there are even some ways throughout the week with our families we love God with our mind intellectually, but we're missing a component here of loving God with everything that we are. And so we compartmentalize. This is my my Friday night identity. This is my Sunday morning identity. This is my Monday morning identity. And And so we're almost like chameleons at times, molding into whatever environment we're in at any given moment throughout the week. And Hear the call, parents, before we can ever get into discipleship, is that we first must love the Lord our God with everything that we are if we ever want our children to. I just wonder how many of our kids see 
a compartmentalization version of Christianity in our lives. The moments where it's predictable that we would stop and pray, the moments where it's predictable that we trust God, yet there are other areas where our kids wouldn't even expect us to stop and to pray or to mention God because we've compartmentalized so much. I think another um, hindrance, and this has afflicted um, probably every generation, is to, to shift from relationship to religious activity. And so for a lot of children, they grow up in homes learning religious activity, maybe even and completely miss the relationship that's the point here. See, the, 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 the point isn't that you would perfectly obey the commands. The point is what? Teach these commands to your children. Why? So that they would love the Lord your God with everything that they are the way you love the Lord your God with everything that you are. A relationship, not just religious activity. And it's so, it's, it's so easy to shift from means to end here. Right? We, in order to, to, to fully love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, we, need, we know we need to be in the Bible reading. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in. And if we're not careful, we'll take all the things you, you must do in order to achieve this, and those will become the end. And completely forget that. The reason I open the Word of God is not that I would become smarter. It's that in the Word of God, I find out more, more intimately and more accurately who God is. That I could love Him with even more of me. Right? Love Him even more accurately. The point of praying isn't that God is this genie in the bottle and I go to him to get what I want. The point is that he's invited me into his presence to commune with him, to share my heart, my struggles, my needs, to worship and right, relationship over religious activity. And if we, if we slip into this compartmentalization, specialization, American mentality when it comes to discipling our children, more often than not, we'll teach them religious activity and completely miss the relationship. The point of family discipleship isn't that your children would be able to memorize tons of scripture. The point of family discipleship is that through learning God's word, they would love the Lord their God with everything that they are. Parents, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is a prerequisite. This is where it must begin. Now, again, where... Where the ideal is absent, grace can abound. So I didn't grow up in a home like this. I didn't. I didn't grow up in a home where the adults who ran the household, I was raised by a single mom. My grandparents were close by. But um, those who, who claimed to be religious but didn't see this pattern of loving the Lord your God with everything that you are. And so, so, so where the ideal is absent, grace abounds. In high school, a friend invited me to a church camp where I went and, and God just ambushed me. In a spectacular way, I didn't expect to meet God. I expected to meet girls. And and God ambushed me there in a great way and captured my affections, my heart, my mind, my soul. And I came home loving the Lord my God with everything that I was. And then my mom got a little suspicious slash curious. And through what God was doing in my life, the Lord led her into a relationship. And we were both baptized together six months later. So again, where the ideal is absent, grace will abound. Yet this is the blueprint we're aiming for, we're striving towards, we're being transformed into. That parents first would love the Lord their God with everything that they are. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You catch that? Your heart first. Now this is a foreshadowing of what would happen in Christ when believers would receive the Holy Spirit of God to write the word of God on our hearts. We wouldn't just need it on stone tablets, but God would write it on our hearts as we, as we read it and meditate 
on it, the words literally begin to sink into the depths of who we are. And here in this moment, God is speaking through Moses to the leaders of the households, the parents, saying the word of God must first be on your hearts. Your hearts. Verse 7. And again, you, parents, leaders of the household, every individual believer, you shall what? Teach them diligently to your children. Now, we're going to talk for just a minute about teaching. We're going to end very practically, but right here we get this beautiful foreshadowing of something Jesus would say in the New Testament in Matthew 28. So if you're not super familiar with the Bible, we're in the Old Testament, then Jesus comes and opens up our New Testament, fulfilling everything we read in the Old Testament. He dies on the cross willingly, sacrificially, lovingly on our behalf so we don't have to. He's in the grave for three days. He resurrects from the grave. Then he pulls his disciples in close and says, all right, guys, here's what I want you to do. And so in Matthew 28, if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn there uh, with me just quickly in verse 19. He tells his disciples, here's what you're to do. Remember Moses said to the parents, these things should be on your heart. Teach them to your sons that they would teach them to your sons. This beautiful Model of discipleship. Now, in the New Testament, Matthew 28, Jesus says, verse 19, to the disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, intimidation factor. Whoa, that's big. I don't know what that's supposed to look like. Does that mean I need to sign up for the Philippines mission trip? Is that what that means? I have no idea what that do I need to go to seminary to figure this out. And and no, the answer is no. Look at what he says. So here's how you make disciples of the nations. First, you you go, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So still, nothing's new, right, in what God's saying here. Those who are leaders in the home, it's your responsibility to teach them. Those of you who are leaders in the church, it's your responsibility to teach this discipleship model works both in the home and also in the church, right? Teach them. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's ask this question. How do we do that? I'm looking around the room, and, uh, and I see a few people, two, who've been to seminary, right? The vast majority of us haven't been. So what does it look to, like to teach the Bible, to disciple our children, I love how practical it becomes now. Look at the rest of verse 7. Actually, let's stop for a minute and talk about the word diligently. Then we'll go to the rest of verse 7. Because that's an important word here. Teach them diligently. So um, at Solid Rock, we're not a one-translation church. Um, I primarily teach out of the ESV. I love its fidelity to original languages. But we use multiple translations here. So ESV, New King James, and NASB are all going to have the word diligently in them. It's a really good translation to teach them diligently. Um, the uh, NIV will actually say, impress them on your children. I like that imagery. Impress these things on your children. And then if you look at the New Living Translation, uh, even just to make it more practical, it says, repeat them again and again to your children. So this word diligently is actually um, something that metaphorically means to teach again and again and again, repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. But it was also a word used to describe the sharpening of an edge. Whether it was an arrow tip or a blade, um, it's like the use of, some of you are from a generation who remember sharpening your own knives, 
not very many people know how to do that anymore, but with a wet rock, W-H-E-T, to wet something, to, to, to repeatedly at the same exact angle over and over and over again, right? And if you've ever sharpened a knife, it doesn't happen like that. You try that, you'll ruin the blade. You've got to, over time, gradually, easily, starting off rough, moving down to a fine, wet rock until that blade is razor sharp, no blemishes on it. That's the imagery we're being given here, given here on discipling our children. Not that you would have some, some significant PhD in theology, but that whatever you do with your children, you would do it repeatedly, diligently, over and over and over again, gently, accurately, smoothly, sharpening your children that they may know the Lord your God. That's what it means to diligently teach them. Now, the rest of verse 7 tells us how we're supposed to do this, right? So if we stop there and just look at our household, we need to get a spreadsheet with the days and the times, and we need to have Bible study penciled in, Scripture memorization penciled in. We just need to chalk it all up, but that's not exactly what's the imagery being portrayed here. Look at what he says. Here's how this should look, and you shall talk. We'll come back to that in a minute. You have to use words. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, it's not just enough to dress your kids up in you know, Christian t-shirts or have um, you know, the latest Pinterest version of the cross wall up in your house or you know, scriptures uniquely portrayed on the, the, the plaque with the weathered corners. Like Those are beautiful things, and that can be helpful to reinforce what you're doing, but you can't teach them unless you talk to them, right? You have to have conversations with them. When you walk, when you sit, when you're on your way, when you rise. Now this idea of talking to them, um, before we turn it into rock and science or anything else, like I want to just, like let's think about that. Romans 10, New Testament again, Paul talks about the need to talk. You can't just be an example to your children. At some point you need to engage them in conversation. Um, I love the rhetorical questions from Romans 10, starting in 14. You don't have to turn there, we'll have this on the screen. Verse 14 says, so then if this is our job, to disciple our children, that they may disciple their children to love the Lord their God with all their heart. Again, not religious activity, relationship. If we're going to do this, look at the questions. Verse 14 of Romans 10. How then will they call, your children, call on him in whom they have not believed? Start there. If that's your hope for your, your children, your family, even yourself, how will they ever call upon Jesus, if they haven't believed in him, right? You have to start with believing in him. Now, look at what follows. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And think about that very practically. How are your children ever going to believe in Jesus if they don't hear about him? Your, 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 your family could be, I mean, leave it to beaver, morally flawless. Mother Teresa, compassionate. But they're never going to call on one unless they've heard of him. Right? Look at what follows. How are they going to believe in whom they've not heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? Let's pull the intimidation out of that. Proclaiming. Speaking intentionally. You don't have to do what I'm doing up here for your children to get it. But you must speak to them. Engage them intentionally in conversations. 
Now, along with that can come regular time of Bible study, regular times of prayer. All those things can be helpful religious activities to get to the right end of loving the Lord their God, right? But the point is this, unless you talk to them, teach them, proclaim to them, how are they going to call on Jesus? And how are they going to preach unless they are sent? That's verse 15, meaning there has to be intentional conversation. You just can't wait for your kids to bring it up. Now, when they do, jump on it, right? Jump on it. Where did you learn that? Is it, did you learn that at church? That's awesome. Tell me what you learned and engage them in those conversations. But don't wait on your children to bring it up, right? We are supposed to be leading them to the Lord, not the other way around. How are they I'm going to hear unless we're intentional with our conversations. I love how verse 15 ends. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Parents, your feet are beautiful when you engage your children in these conversations. You're bringing to them not just a gift that they'll be excited about today and bored with tomorrow. You're bringing them eternity. And the scriptures would call that coming with beautiful feet to your children when you engage them in gospel conversations. When do you do this? When you sit at your house, when you're on your way, when you lie down at night, when you wake up, when you rise in the morning. Verse seven, this is Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Nothing has changed in the Bible. All the way back, Deuteronomy 6, all the way forward to the New Testament, Romans 10, all the way to this moment in 2015, God speaking to your hearts right now as parents, nothing has changed. Your calling is still the same. Teach them. Teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul. Teach them the commands. Teach them the word. Teach them how to pray. That they then would teach their children. That they would teach their children. Discipling the generations to come. Do you ever think about it like that, parents? Every moment of conversation that you're having with your children, you're speaking into future generations. And it's especially those things you say and do over and over again, like a wet rock, that they'll take with them. Right? Think about that. The next moment you're tempted to get frustrated, lose your patience, remind yourself, oh, you're more than likely going to grow up to have children who are going to grow up to have children. I'm, I'm not just sharpening and shaping your life. I'm shaping the future generations. Now, Deuteronomy 6, verses 8 and 9. I love the imagery here. You shall bind them. Bind what? The commands, the statutes of the Lord. Bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be the frontlets between your eyes. Verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, literally speaking... We all go home and we put scripture on our walls and we put a bunch of crosses together and we have the cross wall and we, we do all these really neat Pinteresty things, right? And, and, and again, like that can be part of it. But if that's what you're trusting to teach your children to love God, they're going to miss it. If there are no intentional conversations, more than likely they're going to miss it apart from grace, yeah, right? But I love the imagery here just in the same way that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, and our might or our strength. 
right? All of us. This, this, is, a, this is an all-encompassing identity here. This is the opposite of compartmentalization. When you lie down, when you rise, when you walk along the way. God speaking through Moses saying all day long, right? Your life is immersed in these things, not compartmentalized. There's some really great ideas that you can use as parents to, do, to carry these things out. You don't have to cover a chapter of scripture every day with your kiddos to teach them. You can sit down with one verse for a whole week. At the age our kids are, this is what we're doing. One verse. And you know what? If they don't have it down by the end of that week, we'll stick with it for another week. Maybe even three weeks, right? So the point is not that we, we engage in super, um, you know, be cautious here, um, like a, a superstitious religious activity, meaning that if we read the Bible, everything is good, but to engage them where they are, re- in relationship. Sit down, and so before we leave the house, we try to recite our scripture, the ver- one verse that we're memorizing with our kiddos, and we pray together. We pray together at meals, like many of you. Pray together at night, at, at bedtime as well. We try to reiterate the truth of Scripture all throughout the day. Hallie's really good at utilizing time in the car along the way, right out of Deuteronomy 6. She's utilizing something written thousands of years ago. She's got the little CDs with the, um, the Scripture that's uh, kids' songs to music, right? And so just randomly, we'll be in some situation, and Calvin, our four-year-old, will just pipe up and start singing one of those songs. I'm like, Wow. That's awesome. And then he'll slip into Taylor Swift or something, like, oh, almost. <laughs> but here's the point. Like, taking advantage, being intentional with every moment of your day. Right? Not setting this standard of perfection that's unachievable, but just living out your relationship with God in every moment of every day. That the word of God would be like having it bound to our hands or on our foreheads or or in such a way where, our, where the identity marker of our home is the truth of God's word. Now, I want to talk for a minute about how, um, as a church, we, we desire to partner with every family to see these things happen. So how does that work? So rather than parents farming out discipleship to the church, church is supposed to come alongside families in some fashion to equip, to encourage, to set you up for success. At Solid Rock, we call it partnering with parents. Okay? It comes from Deuteronomy 6. We see that God's given you this primary responsibility and given us the responsibility of discipling you. Just like Moses said, God spoke to me that I would speak to you. And so that plays out for us. Family worship weekends is one example of how we want to do that. A couple of times a year we do this. We invite the older kids to come um, into the worship service to watch you worship Jesus. They, they're great at doing it. It's not that they don't know how. Go sneak in to one of our kids' worship services. They, they, they're great at worshiping Jesus, but we want them to see how you worship. We want them to see how you respond to God's word, how you respond to the Holy Spirit speaking to you and prompting you and convicting you. So we, that's one way we partner with parents. Um, our VBS that starts in two weeks from today, let me get my dates right, one week from today, seven days from now, Sunday night, Monday night and Tuesday night. This year, parents, you're invited. And guess what your role will be? To go with your children as they walk around, as they sit down and listen, that you're hearing the things that they're hearing so we can equip you to go home and have intentional conversations with them. Uh, This fall, uh, we're looking at launching an Awanas program on Wednesday nights. Some of you are familiar with that, others are not. 
It's a fantastic program that's rooted in God's word, teaching scriptures to children in a way where they can get it and they can absorb it and they can hold on to it. But there is a strong parent component to this as well. We'll be having literature and, and, and Bible study and, and family worship instructions available for you if you want to choose to go through it yourself that at home you can have these intentional conversations. We want to set you up to succeed so that your children aren't leading you, you're leading them. There's a few ways that we want to live this out, this Deuteronomy 6 passage, to set you up to succeed at what God's called you to do. So here's, let's just, let's just deal with the glaring problem. If we don't do this, right, if we just farm it out to the church, here's what's going to happen. Your children, those of you who had children who come to church here, are going to visit our kids' ministry, and I would say um, we have one of, one of the most fabulous kids' ministries around because I know the people. And, and so, like, those of you who, like, and we've had an awesome kids' ministry for years here, for years, when I first started here, it was underneath one of our elders' leadership under Ken Forsyth. And from there, it's been, it's been passed on. We've had different kids' ministers in that role. But we've never had a second-rate kids' ministry because of the heart and the passion of our volunteers to see your children come to know and love Jesus. I'm telling you, we've got some secret weapons over there. And so many of your kids are coming home, and you're excited about what they're learning, okay? But if all we do is farm it out to the church to handle, and you never engage in it, Here's what's happening. Your kids are coming here to church once a week for an hour and 15 minutes, and they're hearing that Jesus loves them, and God designed their life with purpose, and he means every moment of it. And then here's what's happening the rest of the week. They're walking into a culture and a world that says that their lives are haphazard, haphazard here on earth by chance, no purpose or meaning. They're walking into a culture and a world that would say to them, your parents don't have a right to punish you in public, yet before you were born, they could terminate your life. You feel the conflict in that message? God loves you, and he fashioned you in your mother's womb, and he, he's calling you to himself, and they're hearing that here, and then walking out the door into a world that would say to them, those things aren't true. You're just a drop in the bucket. Your life has no meaning. You want to have purpose in your life? You make it up yourself and go after it. You see, if there's not, there's a gap there, and, and, and who is supposed to be bridging that gap? Parents, living it out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, showing your children that what they learn here on Sundays is true. They can bank on it. We're going to teach your children that God's word is true and it's, it's to be trusted with everything that you are. When they go over there, we're, we're teaching them that. We're teaching your children that this is an absolute truth. They can stake their lives on it. Should God call them to go to a foreign country where it's dangerous to preach it? We're telling them, trust God. Yet, they're walking out the door and the rest of the days of their week, they're stepping to a culture that would say that, what? Truth isn't absolute. That existentialism rules. That whatever you feel is what matters. And if it feels good, do it. And that makes it right. Don't know, they're, they're walking into a world that would say to them, don't let anybody handcuff you with dogmatic truths and rules and, and, and just be yourself. And, and that's not what we're teaching them here. We're teaching them that the word of God can be trusted. So who's to bridge the gap between what they're learning here in Sunday school versus what they're experiencing at school on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and what they're watching on television? You are, parents. You're the bridge for that gap. You shall talk, talk of them 
when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Our teachers can't do that on Tuesday morning. They can't be there with your kids when they go to bed on Thursday night or when they come home from school on Friday and they're broken from something they've heard or something somebody said to them. That's, you've got to be there. Our job is to come alongside you to set you up to succeed in this. But the responsibility of discipleship falls on the leaders of the household. Now, where the ideal is absent, grace abounds. I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? That while the ideal is missing, I'm so thankful that because I grew up in a home that didn't look like this, right? I'm so thankful that Jesus saved me anyway, called me to himself, worked through a circumstance with friends and impure motives in my own heart, and called me to himself to see that he is good and worth loving with everything that I am. Right? So don't become a legalist here and go, until we become, have the perfect blueprints, our kids will never find Jesus. That's not it. This is just what we're striving towards. This is what we're moving towards the best that we can. And where the ideal is missing, parents, the grace of Jesus will abound in your family. Teach your children to know and love Jesus. That way... Right? You're doing more than just setting them up for success in this life. You're setting them up for eternity. Now, I want to pray for us. I'm going to invite Jason, uh, worship team, to come back up. We're going to take communion in, in just a few minutes as a church. Um, but just one thing I want to say as Jason comes up. There may be somebody here today and you're thinking, well, I don't know any of this because I don't know who God is. And so I want you to know that today that the God of the universe who inspired everything that we've read from the Bible today, he's here today, and he has an invitation on the table for you. You didn't even know that. But he knew you were going to be here, and there's an invitation on the table for you today. An invitation to know what it means to have a relationship with him. To trust that he is good. To find the strength that he provides in hard circumstances. To find that he provides a, a grace that is immeasurable and a love that never ends to cover over every sin and mistake of your life. A grace that is so rich and bountiful that it not only covers our mistakes, but it leads us in righteousness. I want you to know that invitation's on the table today for you. God wants to have a relationship with you. A relationship that would not just change your, your moment here today, but your entire eternity. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me today. Um, throughout the remainder of our service, you're going to see uh, people around the room with lanyards on that say, um, prayer partners, those folks are here for you. Whether it's at the end of our service or after the service, you want to grab somebody to pray with, please do that. But right now, I just want to pray for us. Um, and, and so if you just bow with me, maybe close your eyes and just allow your heart to get quiet for a minute. If you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to tell you what to say, but I want to invite you to pray right now. And if today is a day that you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, then let's start here in your own words, in your own way, would you just say, Jesus, I believe. I don't have it all figured out, but I believe. I believe that you are the son of the living God. If you just continue praying. Jesus, I believe that you have died for my sins and rose from the grave to give me eternal life. And then in your own words, if you would just say, Jesus, I trust in you and you alone 
my salvation. Father, only you know who is here today and who has prayed that prayer. And so, God, I'm going to leave that in your hands. But, God, we do ask that you would work in us today, speak to us, continue this process of transforming us into the image of Jesus. God, for those here today who are broken or feel like they're walking in darkness, I pray that you would, God, usher them into the light. God, out of the bondage of addiction and the affliction of suffering and God, the shackles of shame and, and feeling guilty, God. Would you usher us out of this darkness into light this morning as we prepare to take communion in just a few minutes? I'm going to give you just a moment to continue praying if you'd like. You don't have to, to get up or go anywhere. You can just stay where you're at. And I'm going to move around the room a little bit and get set up for communion. But just give you a moment just to stay where you're at if you want to continue Bowing your head and close your eyes, you can. If you're done, that's fine. But just give you a minute to continue talking to God.